0: You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Something I think about often is just constantly coming back to, and I don't need to be cliche here, but like what my why is. Like why am I doing this? Because I think it's very easy to get lost in a lot of the things we see online where business are making seven figures or they're having six figure launches. And it's really easy to start to question what am I doing wrong? Or what am I doing? You know, and then starting, it's really easy to get swayed. And so something that I constantly have to remind myself and the people I work with, and this comes back to strategy is, is really figuring out like why I do what I do, right. And like why I get out of bed in the morning, because it's so easy to kind of get swooped up in the vanity metrics and the likes and who's reading your stuff. And It's so important to really pay attention to like why you do this in the first place.
0: That was Megan O'Toole, a digital strategist who previously ran My Love For You, one of the first art blogs online and was recruited by Yahoo to work as a social media strategist. She joins me to share some of what she's learned in her years in the digital trenches of creative work. We discuss the surprisingly important role her local community plays in her online work, how important it is to start and keep making things online and how she works through the fear that's an inevitable part of creating stuff with and for other people and much much more i'm charlie gilkey and this is productive flourishing welcome to productive flourishing where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world i'm your host charlie gilkey And I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Megan, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: You know, it's, it's really interesting to talk to another um, business consultant and business coach and someone who helps people in the micro business space, because it's one of those things where we get to share notes, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's more powerful that we're able to share notes and and talk about that because, you know, it's fun for us and we learn together, but also people listening um, right. get to hear some of the inside scoop. And as we were talking about different things, like one thing that popped up is the power of local community when you have an online business and something um, that I've seen sort of time and time again, there's also the whole introvert thing, but we'll come back to that. Right. Um, You know, you were just saying that you thought, so you moved from San Francisco where you had built up your online community, right? Mm -hmm. Make Mm -hmm. sure I'm telling the story. I'm right here. And then you moved to Boston because of, um, your family situation and, and, you know, being closer to family. And now you're considering moving back to San Francisco. Is that basically yep. right?
1: Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I've moved back and forth a couple times, so I'm ready to do it again. And because I've done it a few times, I know I can do it again.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so one of the things you were mentioning was that um, there's a, there a pull to your local San Francisco community and friendships yeah. that um, you thought you would be able to replace or sustain with your Boston relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. But perhaps you haven't. Is that what, is that what I'm understanding? No, I
1: haven't. And it's funny because I'm one of those people that needs to (laughs) kind of drag along the bottom to learn because this is the second time that I've moved home and been like, all right, this isn't working again. So I moved home. I moved out to San Francisco in 2001, moved there for a job, totally different industry Moved home in 2007 because my mom was sick, stayed home for three years, moved back to San Francisco in 2010, then came back to Boston in 2013. So I kind of, the second time that I moved back, I was like, oh, the internet is like more advanced. Like people are more in tune to what I do. This is a great opportunity. Like I can still stay connected with my people out in the Bay Area. I can work from anywhere. Right. So I moved home because I wanted to be close to my mom and my sister and my brother, but also because I have two nieces who were growing up and like, I don't want children. So I really very important for me to have a relationship with them. So that's been one great thing about being home over the past four years. Um, But I, you know, I did, I moved home in 2013 thinking everything that I just said, and I've now been home it'll be four years next month. And while I love the online world i've made a lot of great friends i've made a lot of great connections i'm i'm in online communities that are very helpful for me i have found that it has had a very negative impact on me actually to not have a local community and like i said to you when we were first chatting like i am sort of one of those weirdo extrovert or introvert extroverts so like i really feed off of people's energy. So like after I get off this podcast with you, I'm going to write a blog post. I'm going to do a ton of stuff because it's going to feed my energy. But I find that when you work for yourself and I'm sure you know this and the people listening, like it's really easy to work for yourself all the time. And if you don't have a community set in place, it's really hard to build that. So.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned the piece about being an introvert because it's often easy for creative people to be like, well, yeah, obviously, like if you're one of those people people and you move away from your people, then you're going to be unhappy. But I just like reading books and writing and thinking deep thoughts. Um, (laughs) And I actually think it's one of those things where um, just time and time again when you look at the research and when you interview and talk to people, what you find is the, the, the deepest most um, sort of isolated introverts that you might know have a powerful group of people, typically local, actually, Mm. that they're connecting with that's feeding them. So it's not, you know, um, and and Susan Cain's book, Quiet, goes into a lot of this, right? But it's not that introverts don't like people. It's who they are, and it's sort of very, very selective about that. And the thing about it is is um, to, you know, be a creative person is always to be in this sort of state of, of being an alchemist, you know, where you're pulling these different elements together and transmuting them into something else. And I absolutely agree with you that one of the things that we pull together and transmute into something else is a social energy around us. Right. Um, and whether that's we're riding blues because, you know, um, we just got left and she took the dog too. Right, um, or whether it's, you know, we're, we're responding to the political news and we have a piece of art, but there's always sort of this social energy
1: yeah. that
0: if you don't find that right catalyst for you, it will literally dry you up, and you can't replace it, right? You can't, yep. you know, and I think, I wonder, um, without going too deep into family dynamics, you may or may not want to share, um, one, one challenge that I've seen is that though your family can be a very powerful um, source of love and and you know connection, when it comes to your creative work, sometimes not so much, right? Sometimes they just don't have that, they're not able to sustain that sort of social energy that really lights you up. Do you find that for right. you as well?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, also, I mean, there's two sort of things I want to address there is like, one of the things about moving back to Boston for me is like, people don't know what to do with me. They don't know how to understand like, my trajectory is like, is in terms of my career. Right. So like 10 years ago I was running an online art blog and like people just didn't get it, you know, but like, if you move to San Francisco or New York or LA or, you know, sort of like big metropolitan areas, even PDX, I'm sure, like people have lots of different side projects. People are doing lots of different things. There's, it's just kind of, it's not really like that here in Boston or if it is, I haven't found those people. Um, and also, so yeah, my family is very supportive, but like, I don't think they really know what I do, you know? Like, and it's sort of, you, you can't talk to, especially for those of us who work online and create content online and deal with being online, trying to trans, like, explain that stuff to people that aren't connected. It's like talking about work. It's, it's boring to people, you know, people don't want to hear it. So yeah. And you really do need your community. You need the people that get it, that you, you know, you know, you can just kind of unwind about, you know, something that happened or you can talk about something and you don't have to describe what a subtweet is or, you know, <laughs> like, so yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's one of those things where, where I'm thinking about what you're saying here, but I remember when we lived in Nebraska before we moved to Portland and we were like the only person in the neighborhood that we knew of that had like a blog and, you know, an online business in that way. And so it was always like, what do you do again, right? Um, Whereas when we moved to Portland, it's like, oh yeah, you got a blog, like I'll start following it. And oh, that's really cool. And like, then you're talking to your neighbors about like your blog post and things like that. And it's a very weird experience when you go from the sort of secluded, like I, you know, I do this thing no one knows about to like, you're taking your trash out and your neighbor's like, Hey, that was a great blog post. And you're like, what? that That's a thing we do. But it's, I mean, so it was actually really weird for us. Right. Cause I'm like, I don't know how to respond. I'm used to having people distant, right. Yeah. Say great blog post or I read your book. I don't know how to deal with my neighbors right. doing that. Yeah. Right. And so I, I, I we've gotten used to it and now we love it. Right. So sometimes we'll just make stuff for our neighbors. Right. Um, but they may not know we're making it for them. That's the other thing. Um, but I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I was talking to one of my clients earlier and um, she was meant, we were talking about new markets, right? And that's one of the things that, that sometimes happens, right? Is that when your friends are very closely tied to your career and profession, you you can create a very insular network around yourself and you forget mm-hmm. that other people don't have that don't have that. And it would be very weird for a lot of our close friends, even those who are not bloggers or not online business folks or not writers, to be like imagine that you're you're hanging out with your friends, you're having a great conversation, you're talking about writing blog posts, and they're like, "So how do you write a blog post?" right? And you're like, wait, what? like do, how do you make the time for it or how do you figure out what to write about like you know, how do you write a big blog? but like but no, just how do you hit publish on something. And I'm, I'm not, for people who don't, people listening who don't know how to do that, that's not a judgment or anything like that. Right. Because within your career, there are all sorts of things you know how to do that if you asked me or Megan to do, we'd be like, now do what now? <laughs> right? Um, but it's, it's super important to have um, peers and colleagues where you can talk about this stuff. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you, that we lose in sort of the online solo creative work thing is who are those peers and how are you building them around you?
1: Totally. I mean, I joined Tara Gentile's um, co-commercial community this year for that very fact because I even found, and I'm sure you can, you, you might be able to relate to this. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but one of the things that's happened for me is because I've been online for so long, I find the noise online and finding the right people almost difficult whereas 10 years ago it was so much easier right like I had I have friends in real life now that I met on Twitter um so I specifically joined an online community because I think when for somebody like me who doesn't have like a very solid I mean I know people in Boston but I don't have a solid community like I do out west like I really need that input like I need to I learn from interactions. I learned from, I always want to talk to people. And one of, like I said to you, when we first started chatting, like, you know, a couple things have happened to me that I've noticed over the past four years that have been negative because it's really easy for me to isolate and sort of go into my world of like uh, very tunnel vision for my business. Like, oh, I'm in launch. I got to do it this way. I've got to, I've got to create this content and then meanwhile, the whole world is happening around me. And it's something that I'm really fascinated with in business is how people get complacent, how they, they work with what they have, they work with what's working, but they don't continue to learn. And then all of a sudden, things have moved so quickly that they're no longer at the top of their game anymore. So yeah,
0: it's absolutely. kind of a lot going on right there. But <laughs> Well, yeah, but I think that's the thing is that like, I think a lot of people don't. Well, here's my belief. Um, And I've seen it time and time again, it might not hold for everyone, but I think um, online businesses, but I think all businesses, so I'll extrapolate. I think every business is going to face an internal disruption and an external disruption at least every 18 months. Now, an internal disruption could be key people moving, it could be a shake-up in the leadership team, it could be losing an employee, or it could be a fundamental change in the way that the business has to work due to systems and processes and things like that. So an internal disruption. And then we have an external disruption, the availability of um, of new technological options, new solutions, new alternatives, and a market, an online world, not just like online readers, but a market of people and an economy of people that change taste very, very quickly. Very, mm-hmm. very quickly. And mm-hmm. so you can kind of look at, you know, I, I think of it as the content wheel where it's like, okay, so right now, I'm not saying this is where things are. Courses are trending, but you're going to get to a course where there's course fatigue and the people are going to move on to something else. And then they're going to be like, oh, I just want someone to sit down and write a really good article explaining this. And so you'll see people switch to, articles become the thing that people like. And then you're like, well, I don't want an article, I want a book. And then they're like, okay, so books are now the thing. And then you're like, well, I don't want a book. I want, you know, I want podcasts because I just want need to listen to my car. And so then you'll sort of see this content wheel going over and over again. And when you enter any of those sort of spaces, and I'm just talking about um, sort of thought leaders, authors, and, and creative folk that way, when you enter those spaces, one of the things you have to sort of look at is like, okay, where are we now? Versus where might we be in a year? And that's where I think you get some of this disruption going on. Because just about the time you get good at the social media platform du jour, Mm -hmm. there's some new one,
1: right? Yes, totally. Um,
0: Or just as soon as you get used to writing a certain way, there's a new sort of thing that people want or new topping. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of disruption. And I think the good news is if you keep your head down and you just do your thing, then you don't just, you won't be on that sort of walking on shifting ice, you know? Right.
1: Right. Cause it's also at the same time, if you are, can, if you're dialed into a lot of different people, you're paying attention to what's going on, you know, on online and offline, it's really easy to get lost in the weeds and like start to really, um, it's a word I'm looking for when you sort of, uh, you know, when, when you aren't true to who you are as a business, but um, when you start to lose sight, you know, I think that that's, that can really easily happen because there's so much to pay attention to. There's so many new things happening and it's like, oh, should I do this? Should I do this? And I think that that's one of the reasons why having a strategy in place is, is really important.
0: Yeah, strategy is definitely important. And I forgot to slide this in real quick. Tara Gentile has joined us on two episodes of the um, of the podcast. And so I don't know where they are off the hand, but we'll link them in the show notes in case you're interested. And um, that's one of the things we talk about that a strategy helps you make, a good strategy helps you make good decisions that you can stick with and go forward. And without that, you're just kind of swimming in that sea of this person says do this and this person says do that. And they all are getting great results. And so I should do them all right. Right. Yeah. Not so so much, (laughs) not so much. Um, You know, so we have, one of the lessons you've learned over your thing and you're sort of sinking into now is the power of local community. Mm -hmm. And um, when you have largely an online business, what else, like if you were to roll back and say, I wish I would have known this 14 years ago or 10 years ago, what else has really been popping up for you recently?
1: Hmm. Like around, around, I need a little more. (laughs) Like you mean in my life, like a a lot. The
0: life of the life, your life and your business and how they interweave with each other. So for instance, um, local community influencing online community or your online business, that's one of those intersections of life and biz, right? Yeah. Um, But sometimes you, you, you discover other intersections that are either really helpful or not so much.
1: So I think a really good, oh, I have like so much to talk about with that. Um, I mean, I think a lot about how when I first started playing around online and how, um, like I bought my first MacBook in 2005 and it changed my entire life. And what I know now, as opposed to what I knew then, like I think about that a lot now, like how noisy things are. Like I was listening to Roxanne Gay, who's a writer on Fresh Air today. And she was talking about how she would just up and go meet people that she met on the internet, like 10, 15 years ago. And like h- how, how different the internet is today. And I think that that's something like one of the, to, to get back to your question, something I think about often is just constantly coming back to you. And and I don't need to be cliche cliche here, but like what my why is, like, why am I doing this? Because I think it's very easy to get lost in a lot of the things we see online where businesses are making seven figures or they're having six figure launches. And it's really easy to start to question what am I doing wrong or what am I doing, you know, and then starting, it's really easy to get swayed. And so something that, I constantly have to remind myself and the people I work with and this comes back to strategy is, is really figuring out like why I do what I do. Right. And like why I get out of bed in the morning because it's so easy to kind of get swooped up in the vanity metrics and the likes and who's reading your stuff. And it's so important to really pay attention to like why you do this in the first place. You know, um, I, struggle with this a lot with people that um, I talk to about building an online presence. I'm like, you know, do you want to be famous or do you want to have a business? You know, I think that there's that tends to be something that has really come up in the past seven years, especially with people is like, they get lost in really what they want to do. So.
0: It's absolutely easy to get lost in that. And largely, I was talking to Corey Huff about this the other day. Um, And, um, so many of the rules have changed from Mm -hmm. say 2008 to 2010. Um, if I were to list them, that would be, it's own podcast. We're not going to go there, but so many (laughs) of those have changed. And so sometimes like at that time, there was a fame was an outlet towards certain types of opportunity. And that was really the only way to get those opportunities. Right. Yep.
1: That's how I fell into tech.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, tell me more about that.
1: (laughs) Um, So I used to run an art blog called um, My Love for You that Mm -hmm. I started. uh, I started it in 2006. It didn't really take off until around 2007. Reader's Digest version, I taught myself how to, you know, do basic code. I started podcasting. I started doing um, Q&As, studio visits. Um, Like I said, Fast forward 2010, I'm on Twitter using Twitter as a way to share this experience and Yahoo contacted me. And so by that time, like I was kind of known within the art, within certain circles in the art world. I mean it was definitely a br- my own sort of brief foray into internet fame for me. I never want anything like that again. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I couldn't why I kind of jumped at the offer to go work for Yahoo. But that's really what happened to me. Is like I and and you're so right that in 2008, 2010, even through 2012, I think that there are a lot of people creating things online, and then it led to something bigger for them, right? And that's what happened to me. Um, so then I I fell into the tech world, and then I started working for myself in 2012. So I get that. I I totally know where you're going. Like it's so different now. It's so hard to try to it's so hard to make something now and actually get attention for it. Whereas like back in the day, like it was a lot easier to make something that had an idea around it that people would, you could get hired for, or you could, you know, it could do whatever for you. So anyway,
0: yeah. Flashback for, for readers. Like if you've remember how weird it was to buy something from amazon.com, like go back to those days, go back to those days, not the days where Amazon buys, um, Whole Foods, and we're like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Right. But go back right. to those days. But then, yeah, once you're there, you know, um, come forward five years or so, and I remember, you know, because I was one of the early readers of, say, Copy Blogger. And the big kerfuffle at the time was that like they were charging for content, mm-hmm. right? And that was like a big deal, right? To sell an ebook for anything, it was like this content's free. But that was that was where we were at that time, right? right? Yeah. And um, fewer people knew how to do it. Now, some might say those were the house days of you know of content marketing and blogging things like that. But again, where we are now, is a lot different. It's a lot, it's lot so different. So different, right? And, and it's-
1: I'm sorry to interrupt you.
0: <laughs> no, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, you just think about that time a lot and it, it really helps me move forward, um, in creating stuff and doing new things in my business. Um, just cause I think a lot about back then and how, you know, if I hadn't, if I hadn't started a podcast back then, if I hadn't started a blog, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I, I use that a lot as like sort of cognitive behavioral stuff, like just do
0: it, you know? Yeah. Well, it is also true. I think it was also in the same conversation with Corey um, that I was like, I don't know, like if I were starting again, like walking into the scene right now, I don't know how, like how I, I mean, I know how I would do it based upon what I know now, but it's a lot harder right now. It's a lot harder in some ways because, you know, I was part of like second, depending upon how I count, third grade, third wave of sort of productivity bloggers. Mm-hmm. You come in now, there's been like seven, eight waves, man. Like, right, right. You, like the best thing that you can do in some ways is go back to where people were in like the first wave because people aren't talking about that anymore because it's just sort right. of old news and then a bunch of people haven't read it. But it's super tricky. It's not the same place where you can um, do that. And you're absolutely right. Were it not for starting then, we wouldn't be where we are today. Right. But I think it's still true that we're yeah. like if you're sitting there thinking about it now – And you're like, oh, it's too late. Well, no, it's not actually, right?
1: It's totally not. And I was just going to say that, that like, when I ended my blog in 2011, 2012, I was super burned out. And I was working in tech, and I kind of felt like I'd made a mistake, that I had, you know, I'd sacrificed this really great thing to work in this very male, white male, privileged, predominant industry that I didn't fit into. And This is one thing I always think about now that I decided to to just forget it, just end the blog. And since then, in the five years that that's happened, how many art blogs, how many blogs have come and gone, how many, you know, and that's something I always share to people that want to create something online. I always say to them, if you have a message, like there there are people out there that want to hear it. You just have to start. And so I totally get that. I think about that all the time, especially, like I said, when I start to like freak out, I'm starting a new podcast next month and I'm like, oh, there's so many podcasts now. And then I'm like, nope, not going there. I'm just going to do it.
0: Because almost any slice of time you go back, there's always too much out there, right? Um, There's always, you know, and we can say that for authors that wrote 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? Whatever the topic was, there are already so many books out there, right? You go back, Twenty years. There's already so many books back there. Now, granted, it is accelerating because there's more. We're right, ju- we're just producing more. So that's actually true. But that sort of feeling of there's already out there, someone's already doing it. Like there's nothing for me to add. We've been feeling that for a long time. That that's not right. going to go to anywhere. Uh, <laughs> go away anytime soon. I think the yeah. opportunity that we have is that we get to be better versions of ourselves. Yep. Right, Because that's the only way you're going to stand out.
1: That's so true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I was saying this to somebody actually on Co-Commercial, the community I mentioned, um, where if you have a garbage looking website, if the content is good, that's really all people care about. Really. Like after all the changes that have happened in the web, how, how things look it comes down to your content and how good it is and the message that you are carrying.
0: Words, you know, <laughs> if that's what you do. I mean, if it's a written blog, it comes down to, yeah. um, are you educating? Are you entertaining? Or are you inspiring? And some combination yep. of those. And if you're doing that well, yeah, you can have a fugly website. Um, <laughs> totally. It, it totally works. And if you're yep. an artist you know, it comes down to what you're making and showing in the story, in the storytelling you have around that. So that's great. If you have a podcast, it's around the conversations or the depth of the material or the entertainment. Like, there, there's always those key things, no matter what the medium. You rock that. People will forgive a lot. Totally. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were thinking about the podcast. They're like, "Well, I, I need to go get a studio, and um, you know, then there's all these things I got to do." I was like, "Nope." not doing that right um, so we're not doing that out of the gate um, so how about you try these you know, three things but it was largely like yeah like get a mic that has good sound and then you can mm-hmm. get those for less than 100 bucks um, record six conversations see if you like it go from there right Totally. Um, don't go and figure out you know how to spend you know 750 bucks on the studio that's 45 minutes away. And, you know, paying the producers and things like that. It's like, you got to make it right. Make it and see if you like it, see if it's good and then go from there.
1: Totally. I am always talking to people about making things online and I'm always saying, I actually just wrote a post about this the other day, like that it's never going to be perfect. So you got, you have to start so you can get in front of people so you can see what works. So then you can tweak. Like I always say to people that are starting to establish their business online, like, you're in one of the best places because nobody's paying attention right now, right? So you can like mess up, you can figure out what works. It doesn't feel good to hear that, but you have to start somewhere. And it's so true. Like I've been there where I'm like, oh, I got to get the the right website. I've got to get, you know, the right logo. I've got to get all the, you know, the toys. And really what I'm doing is I'm just psyching myself out,
0: you know? Absolutely. And you're letting you're letting sort of the resistance or the lizard brain or whatever you want to call it run wild. And I kind of comment on that in um, my book, The Small Business Life Cycle, that, that one of in the, just called stage one, which is the entry stage. And one of the huge blessings of the entry stage is no one knows what you're doing. Right? right? You can make a mistake, right? It's like you, your mom and your parakeet. Like, you know, they're going to love you no matter what, and it's okay. I mean, you know, even when it's 30 people or 50 people, like, those, right. are, those are like your core group of diehard fans and readers and things like that, and they're going to be very forgiving. Yes. Um, and so that's the benefit, is that you get to try a lot, right? Um, yes, yeah. you don't know what you're doing, but no one expects you to know what you're doing.
1: Right. And also another thing that I think happens or that I've experienced is you have this grand idea of how things are going to be when you put it online. And it takes, I have goosebumps saying this, like it takes on a life of its own once it's out there. It's like this weird energy that happens. And so you can be as controlling and type A as you want. And believe me, I get it. I'm the oldest. I'm a Leo. (laughs) (laughs) I love to control everything. That's just not how it works, you know?
0: It's not how it works. And the reason why you got to start and you got to keep at it is because the things that people will pick up are the things you'll either throw away or that you wouldn't even think of it. So, like that big hit, that big thing, you're like, this is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. Man, most people's batting average on that is terrible, right? It's just terrible. Like the thing you think is going to be it is not it. But it's like this thing that you just sort of like, you're on a deadline, and you're like, I have to put, I have to publish something, and it's like a story about you and your dog, and how it ate your sock, and you had to walk around the neighborhood with one shoe on, or something like that, and how you felt really embarrassing. Completely making that up, but something like that is what your audience will pick up and run with. Like this is so me. That's how I feel, and I'm so glad you're. And you're like, what? I spent three months writing this other thing,
1: it's right? And
0: this, you know, the dog eating my sock, is yeah. really. What <laughs> that goes viral? <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, and then you can't reproduce it. So don't 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 write multiple stories about your dog in your sock <laughs> because then it becomes a, a shtick, right? But that's the thing, right? You you don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. And in that state of business, the great thing thing is you don't have to know, um, mm-hmm. and you can figure it out as you go along. But only if you're making stuff um, making stuff consistently and showing up and doing the work. Totally.
1: Yeah, for sure. All
0: right. So, um, we've talked about power of a local community. Um, we've talked around the importance of just starting and letting things go where they're going to go. Um, what else is one of those things that you wish you would have known when you started that, you know, now?
1: Oh, failure. Like, I think that this is something I have to learn over and over again. And it's something that's being talked about more and more, I think, in the entrepreneurial uh, community and just online. That, like, I used to be embarrassed by all the ideas that I would have that I would, like, tell people about. And then I wouldn't, I'd either start them or I'd stop them. Because one of the things that, you know, that though my blog is, my old blog is something I love and it really positioned me to be where I am. It's almost like this albatross, too, at the same time, where it's just like this was this very successful thing for me. And now my life is very different. And so, in between that time, in between like 2011 and maybe let's say 2015, I had all these ideas of things that I wanted to do. Like, I started a podcast called What's Your Story? It was great, just didn't feed me. So long story short, I think that you know one of the things that I've really learned time and time again is like that is part of being, I personally call myself a business owner. I don't use the word entrepreneurial just because I've I never gotten used to it, but I understand why people use it. And for me as a business owner, I constantly have to have different ideas and not every one of those ideas is going to make it. And learning about how arrogant that is, has really helped me, you know, like having this arrogance of this one thing that I created, that was like a massive blowout. Like there's, there's been a lot of humbling experiences over the past seven years where I'm just like, okay, you know, that didn't work. No big deal. And, you know, I'm going to be starting a new podcast next month and maybe it won't work, but part of creating online, part of being a small business owner an entrepreneur is constantly having that energy going where you're creating, you're making stuff and building off it so you can keep going. So, you know, somewhere down the line, there is an idea that really snags and works. And it doesn't mean that you're a failure because these other things didn't take off. And something I see often with people online is they try something new and then they, it doesn't really work because one, they don't stick to it for too long and then they disappear and then they come back with something new so it's like this constant confusion for their audience. And so that's something I try to help people with. It's like you just got to keep rolling. You can't let little setbacks like nobody is really paying attention to what's working for you and what's not, right? Like nobody's taking score and those that are do not matter. So that's that's a huge thing that I come back to is that you know, I'm as I get older I just realize I'm I'm constantly going to be making things that's just how I am. I'm constantly going to be launching stuff. I'm going to be, you know, trying new things for my audience and seeing what works. And just because it's not a raving success or even on the flip side, it is, it doesn't mean down the line, like, you know, the same thing is going to happen. And that's been really, really illuminating for me over the past two years. It's just like, cool. Like I make stuff and sometimes I fail, you
0: know? Yeah. Well, this is reminding me of, um, Seth Godin has been talking a lot about this with the um, sort of idea of, of accepting that this might not work, but it's still important to do, anyways, right? Yeah. And, and what can you do going into it where you have that, what seems to be the emotional paradox of, I know I can make this work and this might not work, <laughs> right? And right, uh, right. To, to exist, that
1: balancing act.
0: Yeah, to exist as a creative person is always to exist in that tension. Uh, between knowing that it might not work, but knowing, you know, that it might and that, you know, you have to do the work as if it's going to work, whether or not it works out or not. And it's just one of those things where I think as, as creative people, you never get to a point where you've made it, you're only continually making it. Right. Right. And the goalposts
1: it, keep moving. They
0: keep moving. And so the sooner you accept like the job is the making and the, and the shipping and getting it out the door and then waking up and doing it again and waking it up and doing it again, you know, at a certain point you your the good stuff rises to the top and you get good about showcasing the good stuff. Yep. The stuff like I don't remember what I you know what my favorite author wrote two years ago like, all the stuff that may or may not be good, right? right. I remember the great stuff. I remember, yeah. like, that thing, um, like, and there's there was a post recently that I had to email one of the things. Like, this thing I keep coming back to, right? You wrote it, like, two years ago, but, like, every quarter or so I'll come back to this, and so thanks for writing that thing. Um, now, this particular person, he's written a whole bunch of other stuff. I don't remember it, right? Um, and that might not be the hit that he thought, like, but anyways, the whole point becomes... You make it, and you make it, and you make it, and you make it. Right. Um, and sometimes you get better at it. Sometimes the world changes on you, and you have to change with the world. Um, but I think that's the the pursuit, is the pursuit totally. is in the making and, and staying with it and picking something, you know, to go back to your, your question of, like, why am I doing this?
1: Right. Yeah, and I think having, having that sense of humility, right, like understanding, like – it's a balance of like arrogance and humility of like, you know, your expectations, like what are your expectations? And you know, are they like totally overblown? I mean, there have been so many times where I really expected something and you sort of touched on this, where the, with the dog ate my sock thing, like I really expected, you know, one thing to be huge, but then it was this other thing that ended up like people loving, you know, sometimes you just can't tell what's going to resonate Yeah, And if you could, then people will be making things go viral all the time. And that's why you can't make stuff go viral.
0: Yeah, and part of this is the more as a creative person, the more as a creative expert, the the longer you do that, the further you get away from um, beginners and people who are just starting. And you can't even see the world the way that they see it anymore. Right? You can't even ask the questions that they're asking because they're no longer questions. They're no longer... You know, things that you even think about being something that people would question. And so a lot of times that's where we do find the virality and that's where we find the hits is when you do go back and you find something that sort of hits people who know and people who are learning at the same time. Mm-hmm. But that's incredibly hard because you, you can't think about what you don't know to think about. Um, and the people on the other end can't ask questions that they don't know how to ask, like that they don't. And so that's, that's where we're always, especially in a nonfiction creative space. Right. Um, if you, if you're anywhere in that space, there, there will always be people on that very beginning of the journey who are seeing the world in a completely different way that you just can't see anymore.
1: Yeah. One of the things I've been saying a lot lately is you don't know what you don't know. You know, and that is something that's been really helpful for me about, you know, with my business, one of the things that I've been doing is like, I'm trying to, I want to get better, I want to scale, I want to make more money. And the only way I'm going to do that is if I ask for help, you know, if I get help, if I work with somebody that can show me because I'm not going to learn the stuff on my own, you know, and that again, comes back to community and relationships
0: well, you might learn it on your own. It's just a long, hard, and expensive right. way.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. You could learn it on your own, but like I want to speed up that process. So I'm willing to like pay to work with, you know, Tara Gentile. So like she can help me. She can come in and look at things and say, oh, yeah, this is what you need to do. Because I've definitely spent most of my career, the 10 years I've been online, figuring stuff out on my own. And that's that's been another thing that's sort of been interesting for me is like I'm no longer willing to do that anymore. I will pay money to learn stuff now I will pay money to have stuff done and I think that that's just a natural progression in business you know where you're just like I don't have time for this I want to work on my business you know
0: <laughs> yeah I was talking to my brother about this because he had an idea for a business and he was like, but if I told someone how to do that they can go do it myself and it required getting <laughs> some materials and labor and certain way of manufacturing something and I'm like so, yeah, if you sell that to, so it's sort of a wholesale thing. And I was like, so if you're with the right people, they figured out that it's not their job to make stuff to sell to people. Mm. Right? There's their job to find stuff people will buy and, and, and present it well, given that oh. particular thing. And it's like, so yeah, from your perspective, like, yeah, they could spend all day to go and make this thing and make four of them and then put them in their shop. But that's not their business, right? And so I think so many of us, like, Have a hard time saying like, what am I actually in the business to do? And what do I do that's value added? And what do I do that's uniquely value added that only I can do? Mm -hmm. And what's the most powerful way that I can interact with people? Um, And who can support me with that? So there are different questions than just like, oh, but if I do it, I don't have to pay somebody and I can just put in time.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, for in the beginning, when you are in your business, that stuff is fun at first, right? Like I just said this on Twitter the other day, like for the first time in my life, like I can't wait to be off of WordPress. Like I'm moving to Squarespace. I'm getting a new website this fall and I'm specifically going to Squarespace because I don't want to figure out, can can you swear on here? Yeah, you can swear. (laughs) I don't want to figure out another goddamn plugin, you know, and what it broke on the back end, Like That's not what I want to do anymore. I would have loved to do that stuff three years ago. I loved figuring that stuff out. But now I'm like, no, I want to help people. And like tinkering around on the back end for me is just a waste of my time.
0: Yeah, we're the same way with Rainmaker right now. Like we think about moving somewhere else and I'm like, yeah, but as much as we might complain about this and that, we're also not in the plug-in maintenance business. We're also not in the like finding a, a way to do this. And we're also not spending a lot of time like messing with the back end. Yeah. And and wondering about security and things like that. So yeah. like those are huge things that you just take off your plate. Because it's like, what yep. do we want to do? We want to make great content. Um, we want to show up and serve our people. And um, we want to showcase people's stores. Totally. What powers yeah. that? Not, yeah. not necessarily screwing around with the back end of tech. <laughs> totally. No, no disrespect to all of the web geeks who love to do right. exactly that thing. But that's your jam. It's,
1: Go do that. Right. Right. That's not, that's not our jam. I told yes, for sure.
0: All righty. So, you know, you mentioned a few things about mindset, mindset around fear, mindset around asking for help. Any other sort of mindset pieces that are new and hot for you there?
1: No, I think those are really it. Like I've just been really focused on, I mean I help a lot of people around fear. It's like I do a lot of coaching around that and that's something that really fascinates me. Um and the one thing that I'll share we were when we first were chatting you were saying you always want to talk about things that maybe you can't hear elsewhere. Well, I am I don't know how big of a deal this will be, but I'm sober. I've been sober for it'll be 18 years next month. Congratulations. And part, thank you. And part of being a recovering alcoholic and drug addict is when you are active in alcoholism and drug addiction, you're really in a lot of fear. Like there's a lot of you're, you're, you don't know how to deal with fear, basically. That's been my experience. Obviously, you know, many other people have different experiences. And so that's one thing that's happened for me in my life is like really beginning to recognize when fear is creeping up on me and how it's holding me back. And that's, that's also a really important point about community, like being in, the recovery community, there's a huge recovery community in, in the Bay area. And that's where most of my friends are, um, has taught me about like just pushing through fear, you know, like, um, one of the reasons why I've been successful online is just like, I just keep pushing. Like I just keep trying and not worrying about that stuff. So mindset really fascinates me because I think we do a lot of holding ourselves back, um, Yeah. So I'm always, I'm always thinking about that mindset. And I I tend to be a little on the dark side. And so I always like to try to see how positively I can push myself because I think that, um, I don't know, it's just, it's really easy to hold yourself back.
0: Yeah. And what's so hard about that is the way in the ways in which you accept other people's stories and they become your own. Yep. And so a lot of times when you do work in fear and shadow work with folks what you'll see is when you start to untangle the stories that they've had they're not actually their stories they're where their mom's story or they were a yeah. you know their ex-husband's story or it was their brother's story or their neighbor's or somebody else's story but yeah. somehow you've latched onto it right. as true and powerful enough to govern your own behaviors and what you can do in the world Right. And yeah. those are the frustrating ones because it's like you and the thing about it is, a story doesn't have to be true for it to, in fact, to, inf, to affect and impact you, right? And so, yeah, there's just so much, so much there. Um, yeah,
1: there's so many stories we tell ourselves about, like what. I mean, this is also, you know, around mindset. I was just talking about this with a friend the other day about bringing your past forward with you there's a lot of that that I see that I've personally done where you are holding on to old ideas of who you are, what you were at a different time and space. And it's really your job to let that stuff go and not carry it forward. Right. So like when I am specifically speaking of is like, you know, when I would meet people maybe like 10 years ago and I would like tell them about something that's going on in my life and, it really didn't have anything to do with what was happening in that present moment. But then in that moment, you've given them a perception of who you are. And so I talk a lot, especially with clients about like when they're starting new things, like just move forward, like leave that stuff back. You don't have to tell everybody everything that's going on or how you failed or, you know, just keep moving and don't carry that stuff forward.
0: Or if you do tell that story, at least, you know, tell the failures that are relevant to having someone understand who you are. Yes, right, exactly. And so like, there's just certain ones that don't matter. And there's some that do, right? And right. so those pivotal moments, those turning points in your story, like those are really important ones to to, right. to tell. But
1: Right. Like I can share with you that I'm 18 years sober, right? That I'm, and it's brought me where I am. But you don't necessarily want to know the dark and dirty, you know, like that stuff that that doesn't need to be told. I mean, obviously in certain uh, situations it might be. But I think that there's there's a way to carry yourself and um, where you don't have to let everybody know, you know, what's going on or how you got there or, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's where being authentic and being open are two different things. Yep. And people confuse the two. Right? Oh, totally. Uh, all the time. And so you can be your authentic self without telling all the stories. And all the things, and no one is a hundred percent open. Like there are thoughts that both, both of us are having, and feelings that both of us are having that we're not saying. Like, oh, here's how, and this is a thought. Like, right. we're not, right. we're not hummingbirds that way, right? Right. And, but there, we tell the story that enhances the connection with people, right? Well, it's and,
1: also the difference between holding somebody emotionally hostage, yeah. right, or just like le- letting them know what's up.
0: Exactly. Um, <laughs> so no one likes to be an emotional hostage. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, just you don't have to tell every story, and you, so this is weird paradox. You don't have to tell every story, but you also don't have to hide from from the pivotal stories that make you who right. you are. Yeah. And so, in the in this middle ground, are stories of failure and growth, and then there's stories of like, I I don't care about the dog eating the sock, right? Um, it's not that's not, it's Not a thing to tell me. Sometimes, right? Um, so, as the as the guest for today's episode, you get to leave our listeners with a um, growth challenge or an invitation, depending upon which language you like, right? Some mm. like some like challenge, some like invitation. So, for people who have listened to this episode, um, what would you like to challenge or invite them to do? I would. I like the word challenge. I like a challenge.
1: Um, I would like to really challenge them to do, to create what they've been putting off. I know that's a little cliche, but I feel like it's really gone along everything we've been talking about. Like forget about the beautiful website, forget about the right name, just start. That's, that's my challenge.
0: Megan, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a blast.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This a great conversation.
0: <laughs> Alrighty, so you've heard it from Megan. What can you do within the next week or so to start creating that thing that you've been putting off? I promise you that whatever happens from you creating it is going to be far better than what's going to happen if you don't. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing.